Praise God. Thank you, Inkin. Do not think that because you are in the king's house that you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise, will arise from another place, but you and your family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to a royal position. You're all here born again, sons of a king, in a royal position. Who knows that you have come to a royal position for such a time as this? That's the most famous line from the book of Esther. It reminds her who she is, that she's a child of God. And I guess it, it, the heart of what I want to share this morning is exactly that, that God would also remind you who you are. I was looking at some statistics this week, and when they survey elderly people, they, they, I was quite shocked. Uh, they estimate that around 3% of people in their 60s, 70s, 80s, around 3%, if you ask them, believe that they achieved their destiny in life. 3% of the human race believe that they actually found the thing that God had for them. They, you know, sought their destiny and found it. That's abysmal. And the question I want to ask this morning, very simple, is this. What are the other 97% doing? Amen. And what about you? Are you one of the 3%? Who? Not today. I'm not asking you that question so much today because it's not now you can answer it, you see. That's the, that's the frustrating bit for me. You talk to elderly people and then you shake the young, but they can't hear you. It's the older people you see who, who, who say, listen, son, Proverbs chapter 1, listen, my son, to your father's instruction and don't neglect that which is important. So which are you? Are you part of the 3% who is fulfilling the destiny to which God has called you? Or are you part of the 97%? Now you could ask, well, what are the 97% doing? Look at me a moment. Do you know what the 97% are doing? What they're good at. They're doing what they're good at. They went to school and they got top marks in something. They were naturally able to do something and then they get taken. If you don't lead your life, believe me, your life will lead you. And it will lead you often, and this is the sad part, it can lead you to a disappointing end. Just because you're good at something doesn't mean it's your destiny doesn't mean it's your future. You get that bit from God. We're all good at all sorts of things. You're good at many things. Lots and lots of things. But that's not your destiny. Remember, there's a big, gift, a big difference in the Bible between the things that you are gifted at, which you're actually not good at. That's why it's a gift. A gift is given because it's supernatural, not natural. Right? If you're doing what you can naturally do, that's not gift. That's just your natural abilities. But gifting is supernatural. Right? And your destiny is tied to the supernatural. And there's a part of you, my friend. Maybe it's a part that you have never found. And I, I pray today in the name of Jesus that deep within the recesses of your being, 
that maybe for some of you for the first time you find yourself. And I repeat, just because you're good at something, it doesn't mean it has to be the whole of your life because that can be very disappointing. I, I've shared with you many times, I was in social services, I worked with violent, mentally ill men, and I was very good at my job. Now, please don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. I'm not trying to look good. The, the, there was a, a major problem in the hospital one day. A, a person was being brought in from another place, from a prison actually, Rampton. Very difficult person. And an emergency phone call came through, 600 staff. And they said, get your three best people and bring them here straight away. I was one of them. From all that staff, I was one of those three called straight over. And do you know why? Because I was good at my job. And I'm sure you're good at your job too. But you know, it wasn't my destiny. I was naturally able to, to, to go into a room if somebody was, was being violent, naturally able to go in there and kind of calm it down without injections and without anybody getting hurt. So what? So what? That was just, just my nature, if you like. But there's a very different part of me, a very different part of you, which is the part that God has deposited. It's supernatural. It's something you don't have self-confidence in. It's something you have God confidence in. It's the God bit. And I want you to find that. You know, who is it? Venus or Serena Williams? I can't remember which one. When she won, I think it was the American Open, all the news reporters were lined up to talk to her, you know. And I remember she didn't have much chance to prepare what she was going to say to them. And, and one of the guys like stuck a microphone and said something to her. But um, I'll never forget her response. She said this. Um, she had a racket, you know. She said this. When I stand there with a racket in my hand, something in me just says, I was made for this. I was made for this. And you kind of think, yeah, that's right. You found your niche. You found your destiny. And it's a very sad thing in the kingdom of God. That, that, that so many don't. And it's not for good reasons. I believe we can easily do this. Now, let me tell you a, just a couple of things because it's not our topic today. But tell you a couple of things about what finding your destiny will do or can do for you. Listen to me, especially single people. <laughs> people who find their destiny are more attractive. You see? Because when somebody doesn't even know who they are, it's kind of hard to you know, understand them or fit them into life or to you, to someone else. You need to know who the person is. And so when someone has been formed, when they know who they are, when they find their identity, they actually become a much more attractive person because, you, you know, you're getting what you see, if you like. And that can be a problem for some people. Another thing about finding who you are and becoming the person that God has called you to be is that that is where needs are met. That is where God has promised to supply. Don't put your hands up. Got financial problems? Struggling to make this business work, that business work? you know what God says? When you're in the right place, when you're doing the right thing, that's where the supply is. That's where I will meet your needs. In fact, turn to 1 Kings a moment. 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 4. 1 Kings 17, 4. 
This is Elijah. And there's a famine in the land. 1 Kings chapter 17. And this is God speaking to Elijah about how he will provide for him. Look at what he says. 1 Kings 17.4. You will drink from the brook. There was a time of famine. And I have ordered the ravens to feed you. What's the last word? There. There. Listen, folks, there is a there for you. There is somewhere where you need to be. There's somewhere where God will bless you. There is somewhere where God will prosper you. There's a destiny. And we all must find it. You need to look for it. You need to search for it. And for some of you, maybe it's a very simple tweaking that is needed. You may be on the right general direction, but just a few little alterations. Turn to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. Look what Paul says about this. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. He describes us. He describes you. He describes me. And look at how he describes us. Ephesians 2.10. He says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ unto good works. You were made to do something. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Do you see that word workmanship. Do you know what it means? It means that you are unique, one of a kind, and it's like God broke the mold. There is not another you. You are unique, you're one-off, and you're made for specific good works, something to do, destiny, in this life, in this world. And that's really, I mean, is there anything more important, folks? Is there anything more important whilst you live than to put this as your top priority and to find it? The, the, the second thing that, in, in my experience anyway, that confuses people is that many people think they need to do everything or be everything. Sometimes the societal pressures or pressures of parents or wherever you grow up. Now, we want you to be this, be that, be this, be that, and this and that and that and that and that. And then you go to work, and they want you to be this and that and that and this and this. And it's huge. You can't fall for that, folks. I'll tell you something. You know, <laughs> the Bible says I can do all things through Christ. Well, I don't think so. I don't think you can do all things. I don't think that's what Paul means at all. Do you know what Paul means? I think Paul means this. I can do all things that God has called me to do through Christ. I can do all the things that God calls me to do through Christ. But I could, like I, of my own volition, could say God's called me to sing. Okay, here we go. Watch the place empty now. Are you ready? One, two, three. Ah, uh, no, no. <laughs> because it's not something I'm called to do. And it's, folks, it's very straining. It's very awkward when people think they're called to do something or pursue something. You can see it and you think, you know what, I think you're on the wrong road. You know, it's a crazy illustration, but it's true. People who try to be all things, do all things, achieve all things, do you know what? They become unhappy. Because the standards were so high. And by the way, if you're going to fall for that one, don't ever become a pastor. Because all day long, you'll get people saying to you, you need to do this, you need to do that. If for one day, I took on board even a fraction of the so-called expectations, 
I couldn't stay in this work. You need to be highly selective, highly selective in life and choose very carefully what you give your energy and your effort to. And my advice to you is find your destiny. Find what you're gifted in and do that. Because that's where the blessing is. That's, where the, that's what the promises apply to. When so many people come and say, man, life is so hard, you know? Well, tell me, why did you choose this path? Who put you on it? Has God, has God been anywhere in your history? Did God give you direction at any point? Have you consulted God anywhere? Right, well, we need to start again then. And we need to present back to him something to bless. We need to bring him, come as you are, that's okay. But you need to come and bring everything back to God. People who try to be all and do all become unhappy in life. I guess they become unhappy with themselves. But those who find that destiny, they're happy. They're not doing everything. They're not being everything. But they are fulfilled. Whether that's being a housewife, or following your career, or going to ministry, or whatever. They have their realm of influence. They've become who they've become, and they know this is what, like Serena Williams, this is what I was made for. She's not trying to be a footballer. She's not trying to... This is what I was made for. And in that limited arena you will find the person that God actually intends you to be. And by the way, folks, it doesn't matter what age you are. We planted many churches over the last few years, and I, I, I was sent an email once from one particular church planting team that we were sending out, and because we were bringing them in from the States, I need all the passport numbers and the dates of birth, you know? So they send me this form, and here comes all the dates of birth, 1937. 1939. I think, whoa, so, wow, this is the oldest church planting team I've ever seen. I, you know, contacted that church. Um, who are these guys? How come they're all in their six, 60s? Ah, well, you see, we have a large church, and this is a group of people. They're all older, all, some retired, some not retired. But to be honest, if I can put it bluntly, they all did what they were good at. And life went by. And one day a call went out. The pastor's called Clayton Coe. One of those guys was earning $10,000 a month. He was an orchestrator of building projects. And those six people came forward and said, you know what? All my life, I've done what I'm good at. But at this moment, I'm going to move over and I'm going to make a dent somewhere for God. And by the way, you can visit that church. It's in it. They planted a church, very good church. It's in a town called Navan, about an hour outside Dublin. So it doesn't matter what age you are, and it doesn't matter either what your history is. Thank God for that. But I want, I want to give you three very simple points that you can remember, keep, and if you employ them, then you too can find whatever your unique destiny is. And the first one is intentionality, not just daydreaming. Any daydreamers here? <laughs> Not just daydreaming. Because daydreaming won't achieve anything. Look, 
some of you are called to businesses. There's several people here want to, 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 to go into business. But you need to get the thing from God. Business is a big, big world, a big arena. And you're going to have to get the specific anointing from God. When I was in the States the last couple of times, I've gone to seminars with the same guy. He's famous in America, not so famous here. His name's Mike Rogers. And um, Mike was tried many things and failed at them. And, and one day he decided to do what many of you have been doing this week. He was a failed businessman. And he decided to take some time out and seek God and say, Do you know what, God? What, what's the anointing on me for? Because, you know, you can have one type of business and you might be pursuing it, but you don't have the anointing for it. And a slight change, one step to the left and you're through. And you'll look back and you'll think, well, was it that simple? Yes, it's that simple. Moving, tweaking, just moving in line with God. And Mike Rogers sat down once and, and, and saw, what do you want me to do? And he had a very unusual answer. Haulage. <laughs> Haulage? Haulage. Not very glamorous, Lord. Haulage? Haulage. Okay, got no money, Lord. And he got four people, reasonably wealthy people, and he put to them a business plan, four Christians. And he said, I believe that God wants me to start. I believe I found my destiny. I've tried to do many things, but I believe I've got a word of direction. And he offered them 20%. He offered these four men 25% each for $5,000 each. Do you know all four of them laughed at him? <laughs> and they said, no way, we're not going to give you five grand. Get out of here. He's worth about $175 million today. But I guess the four people had never found their own destiny. And so they didn't know the difference. Didn't know that when someone taps into that seam, when someone actually gets in contact with God, moves away from what you're good at, and moves into the prophetic, and starts to step out in faith, walking on the Word, that such a person will succeed. And I bet they kick themselves thinking, oh, as I say, probably didn't find their own destiny and so they couldn't recognize it in anybody else. Intentionality is crucial. Don't daydream. And some of you are daydreamers. Sorry, but you are. <laughs> some of you are daydreamers and you need to wake up and actually get an intentionality behind you that it's something you're going to have to put wheels on it. You're going to have to do it. Nobody else is going to do it for you. And we need Christians in the marketplace. We need Christians infiltrating our societies at every level. Amen. We need them out there in politics, in our banks, in society, everywhere, being effective and being the head and not the tail in these places. Finding this thing, finding who you are, really are, I mean, is an inside job. Nobody else is ever going to do it for you. Do you know, both Elijah and Elisha, when they approached it, they both approached widows at, the, at different times. Look at me, listen. Both of the widows felt that they had nothing. Both of the widows felt that they were empty. And to both of those widows, what did the prophet say? To both widows, the prophets at different times said the same thing. What have you got inside? In other words, it was an inside job. They were looking to the prophet for an answer. And in both cases, the prophet was saying, and I'm saying to you this morning, don't look at me. 
Because deposit, you just read it in Ephesians. You are God's workmanship. You are one of a kind. You were made, you were destined, predestined to do works on this earth, you know, planned for you before you were born, before the foundations of the earth. And I repeat, I don't think there's anything more important than that. See that fire? See that? See finding that thing? That will motivate you for the rest of your life. And it's not like going to work, because it's not like work. It's like, you know, sometimes you hear people say, I thank God that I'm in this work because it's, I, I love my work. Well, there's someone really getting into a niche there, getting into a destiny. And when you lose that, life can become a chore. And that's when you go to other people. Like Peter is a very good example. Peter the apostle, he lost his intention of following Jesus, remember? And what's the first thing he does? Goes to a fire. He lost his fire. And the very first thing you see when Peter turns his back on Jesus, all his intention is gone. All the goodwill of following Christ has gone from him. Turn the fire up because I'm cold. How's your intentionality? And by that I mean the, the, the purity of following him. A heart that you know your own heart. You know that. That compass, that you know, sacrificial commitment within you. This is what I'm going to do. We are, we are made after, you know, Jesus is the firstborn among many brothers, and his life is an example to you. He was born of a virgin, one of a kind, if you like. Virgin womb, virgin tomb. No one had ever used that tomb before. When he went into ministry, it was a donkey that no one had ever ridden. You're, you're being told something. You're being shown that Jesus is unique, and so are you. You're being told that he was one of a kind, and so are you, that there is a specific predestined plan here for you to find, and I, I, I truly believe that God has broken the mold. Look at me. Don't sell yourself too cheaply. You've only got one life. Don't sell it off too cheaply for what doesn't last. This is the original temptation towards Eve, remember, and Adam in the Garden of Eden. In fact, you can turn to it. Turn to Genesis 1. Look at this. Genesis 1, verse 26. Look at what God says about you and the way he made us. Then God's Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, let us make man in whose image? In his own image. In our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the livestock and over all the earth. Now turn to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. Look at this. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Genesis 3, 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat of the... The, the, the tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the tree. Uh, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Look at verse 4. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like who? God. Look, folks. What was the temptation to Eve? She was already like God. We just read it in Genesis. When God made Eve, he, he said, I made Eve, I made Adam in my image. In greatness, I formed them. 
And in greatness he formed you. And the devil comes and lies to Adam and lies to Eve and says, oh, well, if you take that fruit, then you'll be like God. Eve's reply should have been what? I am like God. I'm already got that greatness, that kingship. So don't lie to me, devil. There's not something else I need. It's not outside of myself. It's actually inside. Don't sell yourself short in life because you've only got one. And as we sow this life into this planet and the population of it, that's what we're going to have for all eternity. You know, the Buddhists tell a story, and it sounds like a simplistic story, but it's a very meaningful story. They tell a story of a beggar who goes out to beg, and he finds a box, and he sits on the box, and he says, alms, alms. And along comes a monk, a Buddhist monk who sees him, and they say, alms. And the monk says, what? what's in the box? And the beggar says, I don't know, alms. And the monk says, what's in the box? And I don't know, alms. And the monk says, doesn't matter. The beggar picks up the box and looks, gold. A whole treasure. And the point of the story is this. It's inside you. You're sitting on it. <laughs> it's in you. You're looking outside. But the Bible says that you are God's workmanship. And that he's had a long time to plan this, right? He's had all eternity to make you. And inside you is something. It's unique. It's of greatness because he's a king. And we're supposed to be kings on this earth. He's the king of kings. We're supposed to be kings. There is a greatness inside you. There is a unique aspect to you. And it's a sad thing, folks, because many people are not taught to follow it. Instead, because of financial pressures, society teaches you to choose a good career. It's true. Instead, we do the sums instead of seeking God. And before you know it, 30 years just went by. You know, when Chinadu was making the decision to get married and, and move, I took him aside one day and I said, no problem, carry on. That's fine, good stuff. Just one word I'll say to you, Chinadu. Understand this. Once you've got married and you have had that child, bye-bye the next 30 years. Okay? Understand that. Some decisions, it's like the motorway. Sometimes you go in the motorway, you can't get off. And you have to travel quite a while before. Life's like that. Some decisions, you just can't make them every day. Some decisions, you will pass by. You will pass them by because you weren't listening, you weren't ready, and a moment came and you missed it. You missed it. Or you got distracted or whatever else. It's a tragedy, folks. It's an absolute tragedy. All of us here, every person with a unique gifting, a unique calling, a unique responsibility in this world, and that is something of greatness. So intentionality. If you have lost it, look at me. Please, find who you are and find out what God has called you to do. And then you know what you need to do? Sell everything. Drop everything. And do anything you need to do to follow that. The pearl of great price.
Do everything you need to do to follow that inner voice. And I don't care what it is. You know, we're, we're spoiled rotten in this church. Many of you guys, many of you couples could pastor churches very easily. The pastors we send out, many of them aren't even half as good or as experienced or as knowledgeable as many of you. I'm telling you, you don't have any idea how many emails I get. Have you got a pastor for here? No. Have you got a pastor for here? No. Have you got someone who could take this church or that church? No. Well, there must be someone there. Oh, I've got no doubt there is. I could name a few. I could name a few, but I won't. I know some, all right. I know some people who are so deafened that they can't hear anymore, been in church too long, and committed to human beings, committed to people, forgetting about God, like, like 97%. 97%. And the sad thing is, you see, you get to the end. You get to the end, and you'll face Christ. And it's a sad... That, that, that's why there's crying in the book of Revelation when we go before. We're like, what? What? What did I do? You're kidding me. I missed it. Exactly. And all over the world, there's a great, great need for leaders, for Christian leaders to go out and pioneer. We as a church have the responsibility to open up in 20 countries. It's going to begin when Pastor Tom gets back in five, six weeks' time. We'll start seriously our plan to do that. And hey, where are those people going to come from? <laughs> well, the door's open. The door's open to go and make a dent. You don't have to do it forever, you know. You don't have to go on the mission field forever. The people that left Hawaii, that, that older couples, they went back home. They went out and they gave a year, it was over a year, it was about a year and a half of their lives, and then went back home. But at least you can, you know, go before Christ and say, Lord, we gave that time. And VFC, our mother church, has this policy that every person should at least give one year on the mission field. You can go as a doctor, you can go as a nurse, you can go as a chemist, you can go as whatever you choose. But every person should at least try and give one year on the mission field out there to do something. And very often, it's in, it's in that time that you actually find yourself. You know, those things will change you more than anything in life. So number one, I don't know. I can't answer for you. Do you have the intentionality to find that part of you? Or are you too rigid? Maybe you're too rigid. Maybe you're too set in your ways. I don't know. You answer it. That's what we're going to do tonight, by the way. The second point, if you do choose to seek that inner part of you, that destiny that God has made and built and predestined for you, you need the ability to recognize certain moments in life that will come. They will come. Certain key times when the decision you make, like an exit, the decision you make at those moments is absolutely crucial. And, and also, by the way, look at me a moment again. Sorry. Mark my words on this. Ben and Eunice, just as an example, okay? <laughs> don't, don't take it to heart. Say Ben and Eunice talked on the way home in the car, and Ben said, you know what? Why don't we go and plant a church in Libya? I'm only joking, not Libya. <laughs> Why don't we go and plant a church somewhere? And they do it. Do you know, do you know what can happen? More trouble than you've ever, <laughs> more trouble than you've ever had in your life. It's just a very, very strong pattern. If you turn to follow Christ, 
most of the time there's a storm. It looks as if you're falling apart. <laughs> Just at the moment that you made a decision to follow him. Because you're not much threat to the devil. But once you decide, it looks like you're falling apart. Your life is falling apart. And that is right through the scripture, but it's also through testimonies galore. And you need to be ready. You need to have a certain mindset for that type of life and that type of battle. It said, you know, faith doesn't grow in peace. Faith doesn't grow in peacetime. Faith and muscles grow through war and through getting through the battles. We, as Jeanette says, we gain strength from the battle, not for, not for the battle. You gain strength from the battle. You don't need a holiday. You need to get into the battle because that's where you get your strength. Amen. But be prepared for it because I think it was Catherine Coleman. You know, Catherine Coleman, she was a discipler of many, many great men of God. And she used to say this. She said, everyone who puts their shoulder to the wheel, promise you, you will have a massive challenge. One huge challenge in everybody's life and it will either be at the beginning when you're setting out in the middle when you're starting to become fruitful or at the end to try and destroy your work in the beginning in the middle or the end so put on your armor and get ready for that type of fight obviously we've had a hard few months you got a choice we got a choice kid we can break down or we can break through which shall we do? Breakdowns everywhere. You can break down or you can break through. We're going to break through. Absolutely break through. Because what else, why else, what else would you ever do? What's the point in it? Breakthrough. Breakthrough. Put your shoulder back to that wheel and be aware, be mature about it. Now, Everybody here is different, and you've had a history so far. And you will turn to me, and you will say, Oh, but Pastor Mike, you don't understand. I'm 40 years old now, and I've got three kids, and I've got a mortgage. And, 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 and you're saying, Libya. I can't go to Libya. Okay, turn to Jeremiah chapter 18. <laughs> turn to Jeremiah chapter 18. Let me tell you what God says to that. Jeremiah chapter 18. What does God do with people who are midlife or mid-career? Jeremiah chapter 18. This is a great chapter. This is the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do this with you? Do you understand what's happening here? Here's, here's a pot. Here's a person. And they're already halfway formed. They're halfway through life. But they're not actually, it's not turning out the way the potter wanted it to. And what does the potter do? He takes the life and he crushes it like a potter does with clay and he puts it back on the wheel and he reshapes it into what he wants. This is not, you know, this, what's, what's pictured here is not someone leaving school. What's pictured here is someone who's 
halfway through life, someone who has already got the presets, someone who's already made their mind up. I don't know if you've ever seen glass blowing. Have you seen that? They took us to see that when I was in school, where a guy stands with a great big pipe and, and out the other end comes. The, the, the fascinating thing about glass blowing is it's quite unique in this. Glass blowers are very skilled people because glass is a very fluid substance when it's molten. And the, the skill they have is this there's not just one way forward. So they blow, and then they look. Is it going to be a dog? A bowl? A cat? Who can tell? Blow again. <sighs> Looks like a dog. Okay. And they keep on looking. And the glass blower has many options. And you know what, folks? You know with you? You know your life? God has got an A plan. He always did. But you might not be listening. You might not be willing. It's okay. Try again. We'll go for the B plan. He's a good God. He's a good God. Do you know I am without excuse? Goodness knows what the original plan was for my life, but idiot me went wrong for 10 years. But when I came back, okay, I'll take you from where you are. Thank God. Thank God. Folks, listen, you know what? I've made a lot of bad decisions in my life but I've made a few good ones. Made a few good ones. Lots of bad ones. Thousands of them. And just a handful of good ones. And those few, oh God, those few good decisions, God has done so much with them. Those tiny little things, those moments. It's point two. Look at point two. The ability to recognize moments in life when a door is open, and I promise you folks, if you don't go through it at that moment, I don't know, you know, you don't know what the outcome is. And this is a sad tragedy, but I've, I've dealt with enough people, and I'm not experienced enough to teach on that subject. When Pastor Rick comes in again, I'm going to ask him to deal with that. I, I mentioned to you before, we were trying to bring many people into ministry in, in our Dublin church, which was very large at that point, and I particularly wanted this one guy I, he was a youth pastor, and I wanted him to go full-time, and I was really hoping in him and believing in him, and myself and Rick had a meeting with him, and he turned around, and man, he just, he despised it. Jesus, I couldn't believe it. Talk about not seeing something. Talk about not recognizing the moment. It's like we offered him everything on earth. He said, I don't want it. I'm going for my career. And when he left, I turned to Rick, and I said, it will be Okay. We'll be able to rescue it. He, you know, I'll work on him. And Rick turned to me and said, no, it won't be okay. At least not this. He's missed it. He missed the exit. And that's okay. I missed many exits. But then you start to find them. And you start to learn how to work with God. You start to learn what's important in life and what's not important. You start to learn to reject the expectations of men and churches and to do not what you're good at, but to do what God's calling you to do, what you're probably not good at, to do what you're gifted in, and do that. To become the person you were made to be. Not pleasing everybody else first, pleasing God first. You actually become a, a much, much, much happier person. Listen to me, please. You were made for better than this. 
You were made for greater things than this. Is this it? Is this it? Is that your plan? Is that it? Come on. You were made for greatness, like with Eve. And I fear that many of you, just like the devil tempted Eve and told her, oh, if only you did this, if only, it's a lie. You already have greatness in you. You already have that deposit. It's just finding it. And, I, you know, for me, I, even though my home was good, my environment was not. It was a tough city, Belfast. And I suppose as a child, in many ways, I, I felt put down being the youngest of nine, you know. As I say, and I'm not joking, the most frequent two words I ever heard were, Shut up! That's right. Shut up! Shut up! Okay. You know. So you kind of get used to that and you internalize quite a lot. But you know, there's a metamorphosis that, that took place inside me. And there's a metamorphosis that needs to take place inside you. There's a death and there's a resurrection. There's a new you. There's the next you. There's the real you. Not the ones your parents created, by the way. They only have you on loan. You have a higher father. You have another father. I have to be about my father's business, thank you. Sorry, mom. Sorry, dad. But there's a higher call here. And you have to get to that place where you start looking, you stop looking at your peers, you stop looking at people, and you stop trying to please people, and you start to reach up to God. There's a day that comes when everything changes. And this is the metamorphosis that Paul talks about. It's a caterpillar. Now, a caterpillar just crawls along the ground and, and it's pretty miserable, not very attractive thing. But listen, nobody knows what happens. Do you know what happened? A day comes when the caterpillar starts to climb up. Climbs up a tree. Climbs up a wall. Where are you going? The day comes when something inside the caterpillar starts to climb up. And then something even stranger happens. The caterpillar begins to embalm itself. And it looks, oh, he's dead. It's all over. Oh, well. Embalms itself. And if you keep watching long enough, out comes the butterfly. Out comes the new life. If you, you know, if your life is in your hands... Your life is in very dangerous hands indeed. The two places I like my life to be. First, in the hands of God. And second, in the hands of my overseers. These two things are very close. Very close. Because people are involved. But certainly not in my hands. And not in yours, Jeanette. Because that's not the biblical order. My life needs to be in God's hands. And that caterpillar is not complaining about the great change. You know, to put it in a nutshell, do you know what I believe God would like to do with you? Look at me. you know what God would like to do with you? Take you. Pick you up in his hand and start to close and not stop closing and to completely crush and obliterate all of your great ideas, all of your wonderful plans, and when you're completely dead, up comes the caterpillar. Up comes that gold. Up comes that precious, original, unique part of you that you were made to be. 
God's workmanship. But I fear that the great tragedy of our age and previous generations, nothing particular to us, is that people fall for it. They hear, but they don't do. And today you're within the hearing of God. And I hope that we can touch on some part of you. Over the next few years, as I say, we're going to begin planting churches. And I want to challenge some of you to go and to become either the pioneering pastors as a single person or as a couple. We will put together teams of six. And we will go right across Eastern Europe, which is why we're working with Pastor Alex. He wants our first town to be Rostov, just south of Moscow. Early January, we're supposed to be taking on a church in Paris. I'm going there next month to meet with a couple of pastors with regards to that. But we need help. We need worship leaders. We need evangelists, probably more than anything. And for the rest of your life, folks, you can say, that's not me. He's not talking about me. He must be talking about you. That's what it is. And of course, you're wrong. No matter who you are, no matter what position you're in, you can definitely give at least a year of your life on the mission field. And then go back or, 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 or whatever. But you need number one. You need today to get the intentionality to do that. Some rigidity within you. You says, do you know what? I'm going. I'm going to go. And when you put your foot forward, you'll find an anointing will hit you and God will change you. Take away your fears. Number two, you need the ability to recognize key moments in life. And if you've missed them like I did, it's not the end of the world. Well, it is the end of the world in the last days, but you know what I mean. If, if, if you've missed some exits, don't miss the next one. Don't miss the next one. But get yourself ready for the next time that God starts to move you. And that's my last point. A, a, a commitment is needed within you to start to seek God, to respond to Him with a proper strategy and start to see the issues and problems that maybe so far have bothered you, maybe so far have annoyed you, Start to see those problems as a challenge. Think of David. He's probably the best example in the Bible of this. Here's David. He's the, excuse the word, bastard child, right? And he's shoved off behind the trees where no one can see him. And Jesse and the boys are talking with Samuel. Look at me. Do you know who David is? He's hidden. Do you know who David is? He's the king. He's the king who no one can see. And what did David do? Sulk? What did he do? You see, Enkim, when you wake up and there's something inside you that says, I'm better than this! I can do something in this world! I made! God made me! The God who made the stars made you! And I want you to know that when you wake up, and you're going to work, and you're on the toil and the treadmill, I want you to know, don't silence that voice. Don't say, shut up, spirit. Don't ever, ever, ever silence that voice, because that is your spirit. That is the real you, the inner you. That's the spiritual you, breaking, groaning, wanting to be born. Let me out. Let me out. Give up the thinking of this world and the ways of men in the last days. Nero fiddled 
while Rome burned. And you please your mother, you please your father, while they go to hell. Now wake up, church. Wake up. And look at the time. The hour is almost done. The day, the day is over. And the Lord is getting ready to come back. I don't know, you know I follow politics, I follow economies. There wouldn't be enough time to talk to you about what's happened in one week. One week, in the last days, Daniel says, things will speed up. Just this week, Wednesday, they, they gathered together, the economic advisors, the chief guys in the IMF, Christine Lagarde, Ollie Wren, the general secretary of the, of the UN, gathered them together. And I was astonished to hear the conclusion of that debate. These are the people who will shape the future economic structure on earth. I was astonished to hear the conclusion of the debate. The conclusion was this. They said, what the world now needs is one conductor. That's the word they used. Because they said, the problem is this. China, it's like an orchestra. And China is playing its own key. And, and America is playing its own key and the whole structures are falling apart. What we need is one person. It's the Antichrist. It's in your Bible. In the book of Revelation. They said what we need is we need to appoint one person who will oversee the whole globe. God! They're even talking about it on the television. Man. The world's ready. Are you? The world's ready, well ready, moving very quick. And inside you, remember, the Jews hardened their hearts, you see. That's what they were cut off for. And God, that, that, that voice, Enkem, is in, it's not just in you, it's in everyone. But I've heard you speak of it. And I see the frustration of it. And I understand it. Because I know what it is. One day I was walking across a field and I was so frustrated with, with not being able to, to, to proceed in my life and achieve the things. I, I, I felt like David. And in, in that lonely place in the middle of that field where no one could see me, I felt God speak to me and say, Hey, know why you feel like that? Because you're a king. That's why. Oh, I see. So, Lord... Is it all right to be frustrated like that? Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely on the right road. There's just one danger. Listen, don't silence me. I'm beckoning the new you. I'm calling you out. And it's walking on water. It's, it's scary. You're going to have to do it. There's a metamorphosis to take place in you. Even today, God can begin the change. Even before you leave this building, if you're sincere in finding your destiny in life, whatever that might be. Even, you know the biggest church in Liverpool? It's called Frontline. You can't get in. It's absolutely packed. It's a fantastic church. Do you know who founded that? The guy called Nick Harding. He came to see us one day at home. Nick is, a Nick is a doctor, a medical doctor. And he was working in London. And he had part of the Christian Union in the hospital in London. And there were two, three couples, six people, all friends, all Christians, all medical doctors. 
And one day he's just working away and something inside him says, this is good. What I'm doing is good. Really good. But I just can't stop thinking about the kingdom over there. What we're doing is good work. Yeah, yeah. Healing the sick. But I just can't. I can't stop thinking about that kingdom. And he got the three couples together and he said, he he talked to God and God said to talk to them, tell them to leave. Give up their their career and move to Liverpool and start a church and wave a tree. What? And that's what they did. All three of them left and they started what is now the largest church in Liverpool. One couple went back to London after a couple of years. The other couple, who are friends of ours, Larry and Anne Stone, they now have their own church in a place called Crosby in Liverpool. And and Nick is left with his wife there and they run the local church. I'm just saying, he he saw a pearl of great price and he went for it. Next week, you need to school that thought in. You need to school that inner person. That's what I want to deal with next week. So, We've got this groaning inside that says, I'm better than this, man. There's something, God's a good God, and I haven't found his will. The first thing you need to do is protect it. Don't lose it. Respect it. Like It's like a child, like a baby kicking in you. That's good. It's the chrysalis. It's that starting to be embalmed. And let God bring you in on yourself as you find yourself. The next thing you need to do is start to realize the challenges that you face because things will come. That's what David did. David didn't become king overnight. Instead, he had to face the lion and then he had to face the bear and then he was able to kill Goliath and become king. There was a journey of challenges for David and there will be a journey of challenges for you. It doesn't start in the throne room. It starts with recognizing key moments. So David, get out of everybody's sight where no one can see you. You're invisible. And in this place, what happens? Along comes a lion. And David slays the lion because he doesn't run away from the problem. He doesn't get angry at what life's throwing at him. He says, you see this? God can see me. If I overcome this problem, I'm taking one step towards my goal. The lion went, what, what came after the lion? The bear. You know, folks, you can shoot a lion and the lion will fall down. But you know a bear? <laughs> you can empty the whole magazine into a bear and the bear keeps coming. So he killed the lion and then he killed the bear. And then what happened? David! Come. One last challenge. It's Goliath. And we'll see if you're ready to actually live as the king that you truly are. But there's challenges, there's changes, there's moments that you're going to have to learn to get through and begin to recognize them. We'll continue this next week. Just invite the worship team to come back up. Bow your heads one moment. Father, the days are short. The time is so short. And here we are with really in many ways this group is a a bunch of exceptional people. 
God, I pray that through this morning and tonight as we seek your face to find your particular will for us, we lay everything down at your feet right now. God, I'm sorry if we've gone our own way. Sorry if we've done our own thing. And you just analyze your own life and the journey you've come thus far. God, forgive us.